Hey everyone, we have Alex here today, uh, joining us on the podcast. Alex, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks for having me. How's everything? Great. Um, you're calling in from Alberta. Yes, correct? yes. I'm calling from Calgary. Where yes. about? Calgary, okay. How's, how's it in Calgary right now? It's good. Weather-wise, it's good. Uh, some other okay. things can be better. <laughs> yeah. How yeah, is yeah. Uh, Calgary dealing with um, the lockdown? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, initially, I kind of followed the news, but then it became very repetitive, and I just, <laughs> I frankly stopped following the news. I think yeah. they're unlocking a lot of the public spaces in, in June. Mm -hmm. uh, schools are still going to be closed, obviously, for the rest of the, of the year. I know they're opening some restaurants, uh, bars also in June. Yeah. But yeah. So things are uh, looking better, actually. Absolutely. So, I mean, you came to us from um, Startup Fuel's Global Challenge, Innovation Challenge, right? Um, uh, I believe that's how we got connected here for this podcast. Can we talk yes. a little bit about uh, the about the challenge and your involvement? So what's your, what's your company and what's your pitch? Yes, of course. Yeah. So, um, frankly, the connection to this whole COVID nineteen crisis with what we're doing started, um, say, six months ago, before the outbreak became, you know, such a big deal. Uh, but then, after it happened, we saw that uh, naturally, what we're doing is really well connected especially with what was happening in the food industry. Mm -hmm. Those uh, closures in the, in the food plants, in the US and Canada. Um, and this problem is not going away. I mean, it's here to stay. So we mm -hmm. kind of learned that what we're doing really has a um, very significant impact on the industry, right? Um, and then, you know, then kind of from this realization, we saw those different challenges around COVID-19 and, you know, decided to apply. Uh, yeah, and here we are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I can tell a bit about what we're doing, uh, go into some more details. Yeah, can we go into more details? Uh, what, what's yeah, sure. So we're really helping uh, food uh, companies, food processors, to improve safety and health of their uh, food and to prevent mm -hmm. product recalls and also mm -hmm. to help them run their equipment faster in a safer and responsible way that will help them to boost food production. Because um, today, they have a big problem with uh, foreign material contamination in the food, mostly yeah. meat products, um, small pieces of plastic, metal, other foreign material ends up in the food. And this is obviously not good for, for anyone. <laughs> yeah. um, last year was a record year when it comes to product recalls due to foreign material contamination. It was the biggest ever product recall in the history of the industry last year, um, which really served as a, as a wake up call, I would say to the whole industry. Um, so initially, you know, with our technology, we were kind of looking into the industrial space, more mm -hmm. traditional applications where vibration analysis is well established and well known. But then we went through uh, Techstars, a startup accelerator in the US, we spent three months in Indianapolis uh, going through, the, through this program is really eye-opening and open up you know a whole new um, host of opportunities for us and one of those connections was with this big food company right we started talking to them started to really understand their problem and understand what they're trying to solve what they're trying to do this was a process it took time and then kind of after i would say five six months we officially signed an agreement with them and we're doing a pilot project in one of their facilities in the us um yeah so the technology itself is pretty cool. It's actually a 
non-contact remote laser-based uh, sensor. Mm -hmm. Originally, it was designed to capture vibrations, but now we kind of extended it. Now we're actually able to monitor conveyor systems. So, sorry, so you yeah. create a hardware product, right? Yes. The sensor. Um, so how, how, is, how is the sensor involved in food uh, contamination? Yes, so what we're doing, we're actually preventing food contamination in the first place. So right now, uh, what they're doing, they're deploying very expensive equipment like X-ray machines, metal detectors, hyperspectral cameras, to look at the actual food itself and to determine uh, any foreign material. We're taking it one step further. We're actually looking at the conveyors on which the product moves. Apparently, the conveyors are uh, a big source of foreign material contamination. Uh, because they move very fast, they're very small metal plastic pieces that break off relatively often. Uh, so we are looking at the conveyors themselves and we look at the health and the condition of them and to and we help to predict and prevent when a failure would happen before it happens. So this way so sorry, are, you, is, yeah. are you talking about the actual conveyor belt like machinery or yeah. what's on the conveyor belt? Like the actual no, the machinery the itself. The machinery itself. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the machine itself. So that is that is your hypothesis. That that is thesis. That that is where the food contamination happens generally. Yes. Yes. I'm not saying all of the poor material comes from that, but a big portion. But just of that it. part. But just that part of the process. Yes. Yes. Uh, a big portion. How of does that. that? So can you can you get more granular with yeah. that? Can you explain yeah. to us like how how does this machine or this failure machine make a food contaminated? Those are called modular conveyor systems. They are made from, I would say, those little elements that are connected together, like wire mesh, almost like a, like a wire link or wire mesh type of structure. And this is required to enable airflow and drippage, you know, so uh, it's a stainless steel conveyor. And the wires are relatively very thin. Um, and also they're very small kind of components that kind of Hold them together and they move very fast right so the conveyors move really fast way beyond their design uh, speed right so basically wires get broken they get bent they get damaged over time the conveyor itself kind of moves left and right hits the edge of the structure releasing very small like, dust-like particles right which are really impossible to detect so we're looking at the conveyor itself to detect those issues any broken wires deformed bent wires any movement of the conveyor just shouldn't you know, happen right yeah and these carry raw food like meat yeah yes right yes mm. they but do. yeah I, I get i understand better now like how that can be very important to us like, and how does the sensor help in that management so this is a very challenging environment um and the company we're working with uh, is really big they're the biggest poultry producer in the world um, they have money, they have money, they have budget to, to try different approaches. So they actually tried a lot of, um, a lot of sensors to try to capture the data. They tried vision-based, image-based cameras, they tried acoustic, um, didn't work because the conveyors are very small. Like I said, the components are very small. They move very fast and you can't be very close to the conveyors themselves because there's raw food on it, right? You have to be very far away. And once you move away, you lose a lot of the resolution and 
really very hard to detect something. So what we're doing, we're building our solution from scratch. It's a laser-based sensor, which uses a different approach. We actually look at um, different components of the conveyor as they cross the laser beam, and we can detect a lot of information relatively accurately from far away, right? So, awesome. So it's like a, is it like an optical reader or is it like using laser beams as like a machine like reading interface that just reads? It's a laser beam. It's a laser beam. Yeah. It's a laser beam. Okay, cool. And then like the, the and then the system like it's almost like a machine vision, right? You can see if there's any dis, any kind of issues wrong with the machine, like using the laser to read it. Usually, machine vision would apply to like image-based sensors, like yeah. actual. Yeah. You know, in our case. It's a. It's not really. We don't have a image sensor. It's more like a mm -hmm. optical laser sensor. But okay. the print, the effect is the same. I would say. Yeah. So basically, this this uh, laser system is looking for any um, disfigurations, anything that is uh, abnormal from the baseline. Yeah. What exactly. It's okay. Exactly. And just installing that. Just installing that. Um, so do you have like any kind of study or any kind of numbers about how effective, how much this reduces food contamination or like uh, improves the soil life cycle? Of, well, uh, not yet, food? no. Uh, we do, mostly our knowledge comes from um, the company we're working with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't really share those numbers, but I can say that this is a leading cause for foreign material contamination. Yeah. Um, if it's metal plastic, it's coming from the converse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Geez, I mean that would that's that's really horrifying to have metal and plastic uh, contaminating your food, right? So well, can we talk about? No, no, yeah. Can we ahead. talk about? Uh, yeah. Can we talk about how uh, you got into this? Like, what brought you into making this product? Yeah, of course. So this was really more of an opportunity. It kind of it was more like a matchmaking process happened between our technology and this problem we discovered. But really my background is mostly technical. I have my master's in the double E back from Israel and I spent most of my uh, career time there. Um, I was working in Samsung R&D center back in, in Israel, Intel, uh, Broadcom, uh, doing mostly hands-on technical engineering and product development and then I, I got a job offer here in Calgary with a local startup. I spent a couple of years also developing sensors. Mm -hmm. My background is really sensors, uh, RF analog circuits, uh, kind of, you know, all, all optics, lasers. That's kind of my background originally. Mm -hmm. It was very natural for me to, you know, to do something in that space. But the idea for this technology really came from a random conversation I had with one, one of my friends. And I realized that we can just take something off the shelf and modify that and really have something new that measures vibrations, right? That's the initial focus mm -hmm. was to measure vibrations, which we still do, by the way. Uh, there's a whole new big um, set of applications in the industrial space for us. Right now, we're focusing on the food because, you know, that's the biggest opportunity. But still, you know, vibrations is, is really important when it comes to machinery, um, health and condition of, you know, Equipment, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the path was pretty, I would say, we, focused, we we did everything we should not 
uh, we shouldn't have done when it comes to building a company. You start from a problem first, not from technology. Uh, this was more of an engineering project initially, but then really got lucky to to be able to connect this opportunity on the market side, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a cool. Um, I mean, that's that's super interesting that you saw this product as like before you even saw the business around it, right? Like you saw the capability of what you can do to kind of combine these things, and then you built a business around that. Like, are you a, like a maker by heart? Like. Do you always make stuff? Like, what's your history in when it comes to like build, uh, tinkering and building things? Yeah, I love, I love, I love changing things. I love trying to do things differently. Um, I you know, honestly, I get bored relatively quickly, which is maybe not a good, <laughs> it's not a good uh, picture when you're an entrepreneur because there's a lot of of days where you're gonna have to do hands-on. You know, uh, maybe not the most interesting job, but still. Yeah, I think the spark is really, at least in me, is to try to, I love challenges. I, I always love challenges. Mm -hmm. I love natural challenges. I don't like really, I like challenges that come either from the physical world or from, you know, from the nature, which really are, you know, not easily solved, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, back in my days in Samsung, I developed a, a different way to, implement a certain circuit, try to make it more efficient and got a patent on it. Um, got a patent also back in my days in, in the masters when I was doing my masters. Um, so yeah, I was always looking for that that thing, something different, right? Um, yeah. Even in my masters, I went in also a different direction. I really kind of shot myself in the foot. Um, <laughs> I was trying to do something different and new there. I went against my kind of supervisor, which normally you shouldn't do. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like, what was that process like? Because in a big company to innovate, it's it's pretty hard, right? There's hard. a lot of like there's a lot of roadblocks, right? Can you talk it a little bit about what you're trying to create and what and what happened? It is hard. Yeah, yeah. Like, you mean you mean when I was working in a in a big company? I mean, or when? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. You start by taking ownership on a specific project, then you look what was done before you talk to the engineers and you see what was the actual know legacy design then you basically the set of requirements specifications you have to meet right mm -hmm. and then usually you would see if you can meet that with what you already have and you know tweak it a little bit um, and that's kind of so forth I mean when I was in Samsung that's what I did but then you know I kind of I saw that there is there's a problem with the legacy design there's a gap there and they're trying to solve it and then I spent really months and months to try to understand how to make it better but even if like a small percentage of efficiency still it's better uh, yeah, it was very fulfilling really for me but then I realized this is really more of a, a one-time thing you know you're not expected to do it on a continuous basis mm -hmm. so the, the focus is not really on innovation it's on meeting deadlines meeting specs and budgets so that's yeah. it so yeah. I mean, how different is it to come from like a giant company like that where you're part of this innovation machine to step out and have to do it yourself all by yourself? How's that transition been to be an entrepreneur? Well, honestly, it's pretty scary. Initially, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty scary. <laughs> you have, yeah. You have pets there. Yeah, it's pretty scary. Uh, it's like I don't know if you ever, uh, you know, scuba dive, but you know when you go under the water and then you know you see the bottom and then you go to the open sea and there's nothing underneath you it's a very 
eerie feeling. You don't know what lies beneath you, right? So yeah, uh, I can maybe relate to this a little bit. Yeah, it's like there's no safety net. At least that's what I felt. On one hand, it really pushes you, pushes you, and you always find a way. Uh, it helps you to be more resourceful. What was the motivation in taking that jump from working in a company from a safe position to be like, I want to build something? Honestly, I <laughs> honestly, I just got bored. Honestly, I, I just got bored. I spent my time there and I felt like, uh, you know, I contributed and I saw, I looked at other people in other positions and I kind of saw myself in a few years being there and I just couldn't come to terms with that, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I say, you know, I have to have to get away, right? And then it started as a, as a small project, side project, as a hobby, really. But then we found our first supporter company who was willing actually to give us some money to develop the prototype. And then we connected with some professors from the University of Calgary. Uh, no, they were gracious enough to help us uh, during the process and uh, lend their lab and the facility, and we kind of worked there for a year. And then basically. We got some more funding after that, and then Techstars happened, which was a pivotal point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got how did you get into Techstars? Like, what was that process like? Did oh, you know about this stuff beforehand? I did. Um, did you apply? Did you okay? And yeah. um, what was that process? Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. I mean, it was an amazing experience. I mean, my my yeah. program manager, she's just one man army. She's just you know, I I just you know, mm-hmm. I adore her. She's Super, super high octane energy person. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But the connection really was made. I, I heard about Techstars. I knew the company from Calgary that applied and successfully mm-hmm. was accepted to uh, the one accelerator in, in Oslo. But it was like energy focus, right? Yeah. Was For it, me, um, was Techstars virtual or was it in person? Do you have to go out there? Person. It was in person. In person. So this yes, is in Portugal, yeah. right? No, no, no. Techstars running in Portugal now? No, no, my program was in Indianapolis in the US. Okay, okay. Texas, yeah, yeah. Indianapolis, all right. They're everywhere, right? They have programs yeah, yeah. all over the world, right? Okay. So the, the way it works, they partner with the local entity, whether it's a corporate, um, usually it's a corporate, really. And then they open up a program together with them, which is really focused on specific uh, vertical. In our case, mm-hmm. it was deep tech. Um, looking at traditional, how can we disrupt, disrupt traditional industries? Uh, so they parted with the Heritage Group, which is a group of 30 companies who have more traditional businesses like construction, chemicals, um, um, roadwork, asphalts, or like it's more like a traditional industry. And they were, yeah. they were looking for ways to innovate in that space. So they invited 10 companies. Uh, we spent amazing three months there. I mean, yeah, I, I can't say enough amazing words on, on Techstars, really. It's, 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 it's for life, really. I mean, what they say, Absolutely. it's no joke. Yeah. 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 If, once you go through the program, you really uh, you know, stay there for life. Absolutely. I've, I've, I've heard a lot of people say the same thing. And it, it's a great bunch of advisors and people working there, definitely. Right. Oh, yeah. They're very talented, smart people. Now, is this your first time being an entrepreneur and building something? Officially, yes, yes. I mean, I no. The company started in 2017. There, there was no other company for that, right? It was my my first my first time. Oh yeah. Yep. Perfect. And how was that experience? What did you have to learn to know how to run a company? Like more than the product. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, we're still early stage, right? I don't want to just say that, you know, we made it, right? We're not out of the woods yet, yeah. right? So we're very much yeah. still, we are deep in the... Have you um, had to hire anybody? Have you had to like... Yeah. Yeah. We, we are equity, of, like, yeah. We're a team of five right now. Uh, all of us are technical. And none of us is an official employee. We're all on a contract. But we're very, very... And what are your like are these all co-founders employees are there friends that you had that joined you on this or like did you have to go out and scout them and uh, acquire them like how was that growth of the company and team so really right now we're not really bothered with titles right right now it's mostly getting the job done right i mean yeah i just officially you know initially it was just me you know like the sole founder then i found another person she's more into um software slash embedded software or firmware but also hardware too, and then we kind of uh, worked together out of, out of the University of Calgary, and then kind of we knew what what we wanted, what kind of people we we needed. Then we just hired more people, mostly from my network. Yeah, um, you know, LinkedIn is a great tool, right? So from yeah. my network, just talking to people, see who has the right qualifications and experience, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't. It's, it's, I think it's, it's very toxic for a company at early stage to start talking about titles and positions and responsibilities. You just get the job done, then you reach specific uh, threshold beyond which you say, well, now we can raise money. After we raise money, then it becomes really more you know, uh, official, right? Right now, you know, we, all we have is really some pre-seed funding, some money from our, uh, our client. Uh, yeah, but we haven't raised like an official seed round, right? Yep. Yep. That's interesting because let's talk about like the, the culture of no, no titles versus titles. Um, I mean, like you came from a big company where like things ran through an efficient process. People had titles, people had responsibilities, the key objectives, and yeah. companies generally at that level, the people when run like an engineer, the team, right? Like there's a flows of information. There's yeah. quality control in place, right? Yeah. So coming from that kind of background, why do you choose to go for a culture where no one has any titles and it's more free-floating than for get people to focus on specific areas of business? Well, when it comes to technical, uh, everything is super focused, right? Because that's my background, right? So for me, but when I say titles, I mean business titles, right? Right now, mm. people are are all technical, right? They all do what they're good at, what they know best, right? Um, you know, some people say that in startup, you know, you kind of need to do a bit of everything, right? Mm-hmm. That may be true, that's, that's, that's true. But when it comes to really technology development, like in the very technology development, you can't have people all over the place, right? People need to focus on specific area in which they're good at, right? So in this case, it's not really free flowing. Everyone's doing, Someone's doing hardware, someone's doing mechanical design, someone's doing software, someone's doing mm-hmm. the integration, the testing, someone's doing data processing, right? So it's all yeah. very well you know, um, defined. Yeah. When it comes to business titles, yeah, I think at this stage, we're not there yet. We're focused really on execution right now. Execution, uh, we get this to the market. I mean, we, we build our unit, we deploy it, right? Um, we we'll talk to the client, understand their feedback and their needs, right? Raise funding, and then you know, uh, you have titles, tech, you know, official titles in place, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, 
I have nothing against hierarchy, like hierarchy of like official structures. You know, it's been around for decades, been working very efficiently. But I think when you're a small startup, small team, you have to, um, I guess, put this on hold and kind of focus on what you need to do next, right? Mm. Kind of take one step at a time. How do you communicate those realms of responsibilities? I talk to people. Talk, we talk all the time. Um, we talk all the day. We have stand-ups. Um, you know, we have uh, we use Asana as a project management tool. Um, yeah, we have. Sorry, what uh, was the last one? What, what was the tool? Asana. Oh, Asana. Yeah. Asana. Sorry, Asana. Yeah, we use Asana as yeah. a project management tool. Yeah. yeah, and we're always kind of on top of things, right? Yeah. Was that a skill you had to develop, like how to manage everyone and get everyone coordinated as a team? Yeah, actually, yeah, it took it took some time to develop. Yeah, it doesn't come uh, naturally, right? So you kind of have to understand what's reasonable, what's not reasonable to expect from people, uh, how to uh, keep track of everyone's work and time, what they're doing, right? Um, yeah. And help them, right? So I see myself as uh, someone who removes roadblocks for them as much as I can, right? Just to make mm. their job easier and make sure, you know, they're not stuck, right? Yeah. No, it's great. Um, I mean, it's a great kind of culture to build where people kind of uh, feel like they they have ownership on some parts of the business as far as structure, but still feel like glued together as a team, right? Yes. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I come from a sales culture and with sales, like the hierarchy is super interesting. It's like, it gives you like key performance indicators, right? Like this person is ahead. I've gotten ahead of you because they've done this. Like one of the things you can appreciate about sales is that there's direct key performance indicators. You know, you know how many yeah, sales you've yeah. done over what period of time, and it's yeah. quantifiable, right? Yeah. Growth patterns can be mapped out. Like everything can be quantified, and like in sales, it actually attracts a lot of Type A personalities, right? Who have the who are also risk takers in a weird sense. Right, and they get they the people who are really good at sales, they very quantifiably know how to and how to structure themselves and operate and uh, and run. That's how he's out of town, especially in B two B sales, right? Sure. But I guess like the like a lot of frustrations with blending technical teams with with sales teams and marketing teams is the different skill sets you need to understand the different realms of the business, like different realms of like how to operate. So nowadays, like a lot of companies and a lot of firms are atomizing, right? So a company would focus on, okay, we're a product company. We focus on building a product. But when we need to market, we hire a marketing agency, yeah. right? When we need to build a particular type of software, we'll hire a software agency. Well, and also now like what, we're, what we do is sales outsourcing. So companies have become more interested in outsourcing their sales to somebody else. And we're seeing these like people who are hyper-focalizing in, in certain stream of a business which would normally be horizontally divided, now becoming more verticals that are like, like compiled together. Businesses and, uh, and third-party agencies all blend together to make like a joint venture almost. I pick a bet behind the, the, this IP that's been created, right? Interesting, really. Uh, right, like uh, this is what I'm really interested in. Like how, like are you deploying partnerships? Do you work well with other agencies? and? Other things yeah. like, do you have a decentralized model of operating, or are you internalizing things and everyone running things internally now? Yeah, that's interesting. You should, you know, you should mention that. I mean, we uh, we don't have an official 
not in-house sales team or marketing team, right? Because they were all technical, right? Um, we, we do use an external agency mostly for lead generation. Um, and uh, yeah, one has been with them for, I think, a month only. I think it was been a, more like, like a trial period, right? Um, I learned to understand the critical importance of sales you know, when I uh, when I joined Techstars, right? As an yeah. engineer, it doesn't come to you naturally. It doesn't, mm -hmm. right? I mean, engineers maybe tend to look down at salespeople and, you know, they, <laughs> they tend to maybe, you know, shun them or something. Yeah, I, I learned that this is crucial. <laughs> Without sales, there's nothing, obviously, right? Yep. So, um, for us, I think the way we approach this is, you know, we're open to working with external agencies because, you know, like I said, we don't have the skill set in-house, right? We don't have, the, don't have, don't have the, the, the resources to bring a full-time team on board, right? Don't. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't, I don't have also time to manage, you know, sales team. But when it comes to sales, the first sales always have to be done by, by the founders, right? You have to be at the forefront. At least at the beginning, you have to do this, right? That's, I think, at this stage, that's where we are. We are really at the at the forefront because this is a completely new technology, completely new approach to mm. the problem. Um, no one's really done this before, right? So just to go and activate the full sales team behind it right now, it would be just unwise, I think. Even unwise. You know, they can it can crash and burn very very quickly if you don't know what you're what you're selling and if it's you know. Uh, Absolutely. Not coordinated with the technical team, right? right? Yeah, we're in a stage where we're trying to get pilots. That's our priority right now. We're focused on getting as many pilots as we can, especially you know, with the travel ban between US and Canada now. We want to do pilots here uh, at home, right? And that's been quite challenging, honestly. I found also from my time spending in the US, I found that the Americans are much more business friendly uh, than, than we have here in Canada. She was really unfortunate, right? Um, but they are much more open to innovation, to conversation, at least to learn and to understand and to see if there is, you know, mm. there's a fit. I can say we're having much success here in Canada, at least in the early stages, right? I think Canada will be a great uh, second market for us once we are more established in the U.S. and kind of have more have more track record, have more, you know, uh, more customers there. Um, yeah. But I think for us, when we have, when we raise the seed round, that would be able to point at which one to bring sales talent on board, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, um, I mean, I think you you you've, you have mapped out the the traditional growth of of, of, a, of a startup pretty well, right? Founders run, uh, you know, keep running sales until they exhaust the relationships. Generally, founders, um, they're creating a part of service. Yes, because they've created something cool, but also they have, a, they have a target market in mind, a problem that they specifically made this tool to solve, right? right. And generally, uh, you want to bring in like a sales agency or a sales company in when you exhaust your founder level uh, reach, right? Your founder level of efforts. The founder cannot lead a longer full-time sales and you need to bring in someone else to like create a system to, you know, to, to generate through traffic. That's when you need like an external company or internal sales team built. And, uh, and we're finding it's really interesting, especially when it comes to like, like manufacturing technologies and industrial technologies. Uh, a lot of these businesses are built off of relationships. Like it's, yeah. sales is really funny. Like 
we're, I'm talking to a lot of people right now and, and, it's, and the lockdown really has kicked, the pandemic has really has accelerated this process is that because of technology, right? We're actually reverting culturally, right? It used to be that people's purchasing habits were more transactional, but now people, the trust is such a commodity that people are, the buyer journey is based off of, do I know you? Do I have a relationship, right? Do you have, do I have, is there a presence that you have online or somewhere that we can get to know each other, right? Yeah. It's one of the main reasons we find this, this kind of communication, putting up a podcast, putting up long form content to be so engaging is that people who want to do business want to know who's the, on the other end now, right? Because marketing is so cheap when you throw up a banner and build a, build a plug and, yeah. and throw up a bunch of, uh, bunch of things together and make you look like a legit company, right? Yeah. It's so easy, the cost of entry is so easy to make yourself look legit that the trust factorness of throwing, throwing money at you know, legitimacy is gone. Now people want to go back to like, you know, do you know who I know? Who have you done business that I, I, I might know of, right? Yeah. What are the names that you've done business with, right? They want to, they fact check you. And because Google is so easy, yeah. right? There needs to be much more verification in the marketplace. So I think the buyer journey, even in, especially in, in, in between businesses, B2B, has, has reverted back to an age where like, do I know the person on the side? What are their beliefs? You know, do they believe what I believe? No, they, yeah. we come from similar, similar ideologies and backgrounds. Um, and it's interesting to see that. But um, um, anyways, going back to the topic, right? Yeah. Um, like once you have this tool up and running and you have a product, what do you see yourself as a company being? Like, are you gonna be hyper-focused on this particular tool? Or are you solving a particular problem of food contamination? Or are you trying to make industrial processing faster, more convenient? and yeah. streamlined like what's your what's your core focus here yeah that's a good and tricky question yeah <laughs> that's a big problem with the, the companies to focus right on specific uh, yeah uh, vertical right i think uh, it depends it depends how a pilot goes if our pilot with a food company goes well you know then we definitely want to focus on that 100 percent this is a big opportunity especially with this COVID 19 um, new reality we all live in where if you remember the whole thing erupted because of uh, the food crisis in Asia, right? Where trying to feed billions of people, <laughs> it's not an easy task, right? So they're trying to really see how they can do it in a safe and responsible way. Absolutely. And that's exactly what, we're, what we are connected to. I mean, this is a much, much bigger picture that we, uh, what we have here, um, being able to contribute to safer more healthier food production on a global scale and to be able to boost it you know it's such a privilege to be to be able to to be involved with this right yeah. beyond beyond just you know the, the 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 financial or you know the business aspect of it but just you know the personal level on on, on your you know kind of on your on your personal journey right to have this kind of impact it's really amazing yeah. right so that's what my goal is my goal is to make sure the pilot goes is smooth as possible would be a big success and then we can focus on that right then i think in the in the next two years at least we'll be focused on that because the food industry is just such huge industry globally right not just here it will take time to really scale through this vertical right so yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
But I definitely do see ourselves going back to industrial space depends on the opportunities that will arise because I can already see how, because I'm talking to people from both verticals. I can see in the industrial space, there is more openness, right? There is more willingness to explore innovative solutions, to automate, uh, to collect data, right? Because right now for us, we don't need to deploy any hardware. I mean, the biggest selling point when it comes to the industrial application is that there is no cost to collect data. Now data is basically free. Whereas before that, they had to install physical sensors everywhere. And no, people always say, oh, sensors are cheap, they're cheap. Well, when it comes to industrial sensors, they're not. They're not cheap. Mm. Uh, you have the enclosure, you have uh, the electronics inside, you have the battery, it's a system, small system. So you want to collect thousands of data points or to deploy thousands of sensors. That's quite a capital you know, investment. In our case, we don't need any of that. Just point and shoot, point and shoot, collect all the data you could ever need, right? But I think people are beginning to realize that and there's a couple of companies we're talking to who are interested, but I can't say that you know, something is moving in, in, in that space, not yet. But I think once we move forward with the food industry, the industrial applications will be, you know, I guess, second, third place. And the ones who are more established, we have more revenue coming in from the food uh, sector, we can go back to industrial applications, right? Cool. That's, I mean, it's quite it's quite a vision, uh, definitely, uh, especially in the shifting landscape where yeah. the pandemic accelerated the rate of change in um, yeah. in, in changing in, uh, industrializations and and these uh, large uh, industries are, are are open for are becoming open to change, right? Um, hopefully, yeah. that gives you gives you a, a credit to uh, move your product inside and um, help with like you know the new wave mm -hmm. of industrialization that's coming in. Right. I mean, that's really what these sensors are, right? It's helping yeah. foster in a new wave of industrialization using machines and, and higher output uh, thinking yeah. to be deployed in our industrial processes. So, um, Alex, I wish you guys the best. Uh, it's been a really oh, cool episode to get into. Um, I know we started a little late, but uh, we actually ended a little later. But uh, let's stick around for about a few minutes uh, and uh, do a quick debrief. But uh, till then, Guys, everyone who joined in, thank you for listening in. This has been Alex and his uh, follows amazing product. Where can people find you? Just go to our website, eoi-technologies.com. Everything is there. All the information is there. Yeah. Perfect. We, we awesome. don't have a lot of online presence. Just the website is really the big focal point for what we're doing. Perfect. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Ravi.